is a needed Become, become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising Get up, get up, your voices are needed Become, become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising Greetings, everyone. This is a call to actions. I am your host, as usual, Bobby Vaughn. And today we're going to continue our investigations into uranium processing facilities east of the Mississippi River. As our listeners have heard in the past, uh, know about the Portsmouth gaseous diffusion plant, the Paducah gaseous diffusion plant, but there is one small facility located in southern Illinois. The facility is known as the Honeywell Metropolis Uranium Conversion Plant. It is the largest uranium hexafluoride conversion plant on Earth and the only one within the United States. Located in the small town of Metropolis, Illinois, that city's cut out into the Shawnee National Forest right on the Illinois-Kentucky border but of course on the Illinois side. And the facility is directly on the Ohio River, and we're going to be talking about some issues there. Got a very special guest here today. He's a former security guard at the Honeywell Metropolis Uranium Conversion Plant. It's really, really rare that we get people to actually speak out about this plant. His name is Christopher McCutcheon. And Christopher, uh, Thank you for being on our podcast, and thank you for being brave enough to speak out when not too many others will. Thank you, Bobby. You're welcome. Well, let's just start off. What was your position at the plant? Like, what were some of the details, some some of your roles as a security guard at the Honeywell Uranium Conversion Plant? Well, I worked out there from uh, the end of uh, 2000 through 2001, July. And I was a security guard for Wackenhut. That's the company that had us there. And uh, the first thing I, it was the first day they took me on some rounds to show me what I'd be doing and checking which facility, different facilities and things and going around. And I had lots of questions. You know, we went into one area, it was called the sampling plant. And there was a lot of this black, crushed up looking coal sandwich type stuff. And they told me that was uranium. So I was like, okay, we have to walk through this to go back here and check this building. And they said, yeah, but you'll be fine. So uh, we did that, and they showed me where I checked back the building, locked the doors, make sure everything was secure, and we did that on every hour basis back then. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we'd leave that area, and we'd drive through the, uh, it's like a big, big, huge concrete pad, and it had all the drums from different countries there. And, uh, you know, Africa, Canada, Uzbekistan, and Russia. Russia was probably probably the majority of the barrels were from Russia. Uh, what I noticed differently about the barrel things, the uh, stuff that was coming out of them, that some of them would leak because they'd stack them up on each other, and you'd notice the black sand around all the others, but one, the one that kind of tricked me out was the Russia one. It was more of a yellowish-reddish you know, color, and I asked about that, and they, they really couldn't tell me anything different. They could say, well, it's a different type of uranium from something you know, from Russia. Hmm. And, uh, so then, uh, you know, I, I just, okay... They paid me good, so I, you know, I wanted to keep this job. I just started, and uh, so they took me around different other areas of the plant. You know that to me were a little questionable. Where we had to check our key areas because there was a lot of chemicals 
that I, I didn't feel safe being around. You know, like the SF6 plant, we had to go in and check. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also, we didn't have to go inside the fluorine plant, but we did have to go near it. And, I mean, you could just smell it from the building. It was pretty strong all the time. And uh, we had to go in and check, just check around the fence perimeters and everything. And also, we had to check near the ponds they had. They had three ponds when I was there. And I always thought it was kind of, I was curious about it because the color of the ponds was kind of an odd color to me. They were just real bright, chill-looking color. Yep. And, uh, I didn't, you know, I've never seen water like that in a pond. Usually ponds are either green or, you know, dark. And these were pretty bright. Even at nighttime, they almost looked like they were glowing because, just because of the way I guess the lights were hitting them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, um... We definitely want to talk about that black sand that was on the floor and of course if it was on the floor uh, on the concrete more than likely it was being vented out into the air so just as a security guard what was your normal apparel that you wore what type of clothing did you wear as opposed to others at the plant well we had to wear kind of kind of like the same kind of coveralls other plant workers wore but ours were more of a they tried to make it like security, but it really wasn't. I mean, I've never wore coveralls for a security outfit before, mm-hmm. but uh, we had to wear these coveralls, and we had work boots that we had to go, and they purchased for us. And uh, when we'd go out to the plant, we would have to put on these little tiny flimsy rubber booty things over our shoes. Mm-hmm. But that's, that dust, that stuff in that sampling plant area of the building, I would go in, and it was so thick. I mean, it would go over the tops of your shoe covers, and I mean, so it would be on your boots. And when, when we when I would get back to the office, the the meters that were on the walls, the Geiger meters would be going off. You know, they'd be high pitched squilling. Yeah. So I'd have to take off my booties, take off my boots, get them scrubbed down. And uh, they'd still have you know some on it when I when when they got clean because I would take them. To, I believe it was called BioMed. I'm not sure, but they would uh, scrub them down with some kind of a solution. And. Uh, when I got them back, they still read a little bit, but not like they were, and they said that was safe, that was okay. And so then we go about our business. And you would just wear these uh, these coveralls back home with you because although there was radiation still detected on them, according to the plant, the radiation was such a small amount that it is safe to be around your your family. Yes, yeah. Like every night, every night when I got home, my mother she said, "Did you just set your uh, coveralls there, honey? I'll get them washed for you, and they'll be ready for tomorrow." So every every night, I was get them. You know, I'd come home in the same stuff I wore the same day, and uh, she would wash it for me, and I'd, I'd go back to work the next day in the same outfit. What was the uh, the time span or the years that you worked out there? Uh, it was the end of two thousand and end of July of two thousand one. Okay, so yeah, so that was a time when nineteen. That's pretty young, yeah. Uh, um, that was that was a time when Honeywell was processing Russian uranium, and and you can confirm that. Yeah, like on the uh, barrels that they had on that con- that huge concrete bed that we had to drive around because some of our keys were based around that. That was the outside perimeter there. Mm-hmm. Uh, each barrel had the, the name stamped on the sides of them. So I was, I've seen the Africa, and then I've seen some from Canada, and then I think it was Uzbekistan. And then the ones that really stood out was Russia because there was a lot more of them than there was any of the other countries. I see, yeah. But also the color of the stuff that would come out that was leaked around them was a little bit different too. You know, it was more of a reddish yellow, and it wasn't the black like all the others. 
Yeah. Um, my my brother worked out at the Honeywell plant, and, and um, you know, I just released a video called Honeywell the Money Hell. Uh, you can people can search for that on YouTube. It's a short film, a uh, nuclear whistleblower expose involving some whistleblowers that have spoken out. Uh, you know, of course, older than you. And, you know, for you to be so young, it's pretty awesome that you are speaking out. But my, my brother was, was saying when he worked out there, uh, most of the cylinders that would drop because the uh, same machinery was used to pick up the cylinders were the really heavy Russian drums. They were about twice as thick or twice as heavy. Did you ever uh, have to respond to any spills or uh, cylinder drops? I never had to. We never had to respond to that type of thing. I believe that was more of an in-plant Deal there. I mean, we've seen it happen. You know, I do a round and I come around. I could see where they had dropped it from a machine. You know, and they were trying to recover it. Yeah. And uh, but other than that, you know, I didn't get, I didn't have any process in helping with that. Yeah. So. Good. (laughs) So you did you did uh, normal normal perimeter checks, and of course you had to you know check and make sure no one had gotten inside the fence line. Of course, things like that. Which is is extremely important given the uh, the nature we, of the plant. We also had to do outside perimeter checks too because we had a couple road different roads that we would uh, patrol, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them we called the dump road because I guess back in the late sixties, early seventies is when they dumped stuff back there, and it was fenced in around, but it has a road that went by it, and uh, you could just see you know radioactive material signs on the fence. And they told me just to stay away from that area, so I did, you know. Yeah. And what kind of concerned me a lot is I the animals. I'd see a lot of animals, a lot of rabbits, and a lot of deer, and they all appeared to have growths, and they were abnormal in size. You know, they were larger. And uh, one deer, I remember one night when I was going to Dump Road, it was stood up, and I mean, it was looking eye level in the windshield, and it's huge, you know. And it was it was bigger than a buck, and it was a doe, you know. It didn't have antlers, and. Uh, it had a real big growth on its neck, you know, and it just, it looked sickly. And, I mean, I've seen that all over the rabbits. had growth all over them. It, it was kind of nasty. That is, that is real interesting to hear, but it's still troubling. Uh, I mean, if this is happening to animals, more than likely well, I mean, it's... Go on. See, I, I was concerned, you know, well, they're grazing off this the grass here, you know, so, I mean, what's in the ground? True. That's the only way I could figure they were getting... You know, getting anything, they were grazing stuff that had been in the ground. So, and maybe why they got cancer, I don't know. You know, but it, it was it was a lot. Yeah, it was yeah. Growing up in Metropolis, I had heard rumors of of you know mutated animals and things around the plant, but I'd never heard of you know first it was, first person it wasn't testimony. Animals either. It was uh, a lot of the bugs. You know, like uh, we uh, one night I went outside. And we were getting ready to start doing our rounds. It was against the wall right outside the office where we had, and there was a cockroach. Mm-hmm. And that thing was four and a half inches long. That's absolutely and, crazy. I've never seen nothing like it, you know? And the only ones I've seen that are pretty close to that size are the African hissing cockroaches, you know? And I was like, oh, my God. And the crickets and grass, everything is just huge. They're big. And the mosquitoes, of course, are a lot bigger. Those mosquitoes. And, yeah, those are some fierce mosquitoes. Yeah, I, I've seen, of course, I grew up in Metropolis, um, and I, I've seen big cockroaches in the old junior high building, because uh, I went to the old junior high school. Those were big, but definitely not four and a half inches long. That's kind of 
kind of scary yeah. to think about. Yeah. And the only reason I know that is because we actually measured the thing. We caught it measured it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? Sheesh. And another area we had just besides the dump road, we have what we call was the river road. Yeah. And it went behind the plant. And we used to check that because they get reports of people going back there trying to four-wheeler ride and everything. And it was private land. It's owned by Honeywell. Yeah. And uh, so we go back there. And I noticed one time we were driving, me and my buddy, he, uh, he goes, Chris, what's that on that hill? We could see like a trench. It looked like a, just like a dirt path going down, but there was a little bit of fluid, like water coming down. Yeah. And I was like, man, I don't know. So we got out of the truck because it was a sunny day. It wasn't raining or anything. And we got out of the truck and we followed that trench. We walked that hill and we went all the way through. And then we went through a little bit of a tree line. And then there was the fence at the back part of the plant. And there was those three ponds. And the only thing we could figure was the ponds were draining down that trench and right to the creek bed. There was a little creek bed there. And it went right to the river. Wow. And from what you could observe, was there any type of concrete lining or any type of rubber lining in this trench? I didn't see any lining at all. It looked like it was, it was almost looked like it was a natural trench from the way water runs down a hill. You know, it would create like a, just its own trench water would after a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's pretty much where it appeared to be because it was mud. That's, you know? that's, that's real interesting. There were no filters that you could see along this, this trench that was a, that was running from the plant directly to the river. No, sir. I could, there was no filters. Not, nothing that I could see. I mean, I was 19 at the time, like mm-hmm. I say, so did years ago, but I remember the trench clearly, and there was nothing, you know, that it went through. It was just straight down the hill and right to the little creek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, straight out the, the back of the plant to the river. Yeah, we, we, we both were concerned. We looked at each other, and we're like, oh, my God, these ponds, you know, because we didn't know what was in those ponds. The color of them we were both talking about all the time. You know, we were telling people, hey, this thing glows at night and under the lights. You know, it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It was like a bright green, almost like a lime green. Hmm. Yeah, it makes me wonder if there was, was, more than likely because it is a uranium processing plant, there was uranium contamination in that pond. Um, yeah. Any idea? Well, another thing that concerned me is, uh, like, we had a lot, of, a lot of times we had these trucks come in and they were full of lime. And uh, we'd have to check them out, and we'd let them in. We'd have to weigh them and everything. We had that was our responsibility. We had to weigh the trucks to make sure they weren't overweight or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, we allowed it. We took them back to the back area, and it was right next to the SF6 plant. They had another building. I'm not sure what it was, but they were dumping the lime into this building, and it had pipelines going to the ponds. Mm-hmm. So I could, we were using that to go, to, you know, put lime into the pond. But I was never told. I always ask questions, but they don't really, you know, they didn't give me too much information. And uh, they didn't really tell me what was going on with that bond. They just said they were dumping lime and it's a filter. So that's all I knew. Yeah, it sounds like the lime is there to kind of um, dilute whatever yeah. radioactive and chemical contamination is being discharged to the Ohio River as kind yeah. of a dilution agent. And then when I worked day shift, because I worked, I worked all three different shifts there, and uh, when I worked day shift, I was responsible for uh, going outside with a Geiger meter and checking trucks that were leaving with the cylinders. Yes. Well, these trucks, there was three of them, and I believe they made like uh, three to five trips a day, and there was three cylinders on each truck. Well, I would be 20 feet away with that meter on, and it was reading. You know, it was reading the radiation off these trucks. And I was like, man, is this safe to be around? You know, they said, oh, yeah, you're fine. And 
mean, it was just, it, to me, it seemed kind of high, you know? Yeah. Because then the meters would be going off 20, 25 feet away from the trucks. And then as soon as I get, you know, as much as I get closer, then it's going off even higher. And I'm like, well, you know, and these things are traveling. I guess they, I asked where they went. They said they went to USAC. USAC Paducah. Interesting. Um, did you, would they let you raise your concern uh, to management about uh, about these trucks being radioactive and leaving the plant? No, that my boss, when I told him and asked him about it, he said, no, it's okay, You're, just leave it alone, you know, just let it go. I mean, yeah. yeah. It, did you say 20 feet or 20 meters? No, 20 feet. 20 feet, yeah. I mean, still, that's a, that's a good distance. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, knows what it was doing to people, you know, that were right next to it for a while. Right. Yeah, what about these truck drivers? I, I feel kind of bad for these exactly. truck drivers. You know, because them guys are sitting on top of it. Yeah. For, you know, I guess for a few hours, because when they take it to, you know, it takes a while to get those cylinders off the machines. You know, so those guys are sitting there the whole time. Yeah. Waiting so- for them to get unloaded, you know, and then they get them when they come back to our plant, they're sitting there waiting for them to get loaded, you know, so I mean, they're near it all day long. Yeah. And they, you know, in three to five trips, that's all they process. It is, yeah. And anyone who doesn't know, uh, Metropolis, Illinois, and Paducah, Kentucky are directly across the Ohio River from one another. Um, of course, the Metropolis, Illinois uh, city houses the Honeywell uranium plant, which we're talking about. And Paducah, Kentucky houses, at the time, it was a USEC plant known as the Paducah Gaseous Diffusion Plant, which enriched uranium and, of course, at that time was processing Russian uranium as part of an international deal known as megatons to megawatts. Interesting how uh, Honeywell's Honeywell was playing a role in that, and most people don't really know that Honeywell did play a role in uh, processing Russian uranium. Um, and that's not, you know, those aren't the only chemicals they had out there that I was concerned about. You know, uh, they had the SF6 plant when I was there, which is sulfur hexafluoride. Mm-hmm. And they said that was, you know, that's dangerous to be breathing in or anything. Well, then they had this stuff on the, the rail cars would bring it in. And I would ask questions about it. You know, I was, I was wanting to learn, you know, I was a kid. Yep. And uh, it was these big white, big white sneakers. And there'd be about five of them. And they were always parked there, you know. And it said HF on it. It's hydrogen, fluoride, and hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And I asked about it, how volatile and everything was. And one of the guys told me that was, I guess, that dealt with it every day. He said, this stuff is highly volatile. And if somebody were to make, make one of these explode, it would take out a 30-mile radius. Good grief. So, like, you've got five of them there. You know, it's 150 miles, potentially, it could take out. So I was always concerned about that because they had a park right in front of the plant, you know. Yeah, and... There is coming up, go, go right across the, you know, and be a thousand yards away and be able to take them out with a 30 on six or some kind of a weapon, you know. How close is the nearest road to the plant to where someone driving by would, would see these rail cars with these well, mass amounts that, of hydrogen fluoride? At that time, I mean, it's probably about 50 feet, you know, 50 to 75 feet away from the road because the fence line's probably, it's probably less than 100, you know, from the road. Wow. Yeah. And there were five of these rail cars there. Yes, uh, all the time when I when I worked there. And that's just I, have, I haven't seen them in the past couple of years there. I guess because the plant hasn't been operating fully. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, when I was there, it was all the time. And they, I guess, they would use that to process 
I'm not sure. You know, they didn't, I didn't really get too much into what the hell they did things. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe um, you know chemically, uh, hydrogen fluoride or HF was used in converting the uranium into uranium hexafluoride. Uh, you know, the HF being uh, hydrogen fluoride would react with the uranium and, you know, combine somehow, I'm not a chemist, to create uh, uranium hexafluoride, also known as UF6. This HF anhydrous, this hydrogen fluoride, when that liquid comes in contact with oxygen, a chemical reaction occurs that transforms this hydrogen fluoride into hydrofluoric acid. And uh, and when that stuff goes airborne, it's extremely corrosive. Extremely yep. corrosive. Uh, I know there there have been some some uh, hydrogen fluoride leaks out there. Uh, some of them are, are on uh, videotape, where you can see this stuff traveling in the air. And of course, when it's in the air, it's in its hydrofluoric acid state. Yep. And of course, it'd be radioactive because it's being processed with the uranium. Several releases of different chemicals out there when I worked there just in that less than a year's time. Yeah. And NRC, you know, they were there probably every week, every other week, you know, it was all the time they were there and they're having to do investigations. And uh, we, we would have to stay inside, you know, that alarm would go off. We'd know there had been a release of something. And, uh, that, you know, they just talk about how dangerous everything was to be breathing in. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm 19 years old. Yeah. Thank God I didn't have kids at that time. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing well now. You know, usually the effects of uh, radioactive elements takes about 10 years. And, you know, you're going on about, well, 20 years since you worked out there. And, you know, by God's grace, you're doing well and you're able to talk about it today. Uh, Just a couple more things. Uh, The cylinder yards, you would have to do rounds um, or inspections of the cylinder yard. Did you ever notice that any of these uranium cylinders did you ever notice any um any breaks in them or if any of them looked like they were leaking onto the concrete pad i never really seen the cylinders the big cylinders i never really seen too much from them they had them kind of off in a different area that we didn't get to go around too much yeah and but the barrels is what you know the majority leaks were from from stacking all those barrels and everything those that's where we see it all over the concrete mm-hmm. but Cylinders red, and I don't believe I'd ever seen. I don't know. Yeah. Um, how are the How are the barrels stacked? Uh, two and three high is what I what I remember. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no roofing or any type of protective building that these uranium barrels are contained within. No, sir. It was out in the open space, just on a big, huge concrete pad. It was like a big, huge parking lot. Yeah. And again, this is right on the Ohio River, and it rains a lot uh, around, you know, down in the Ohio River. And uh, there are some flood flood zones down there. Even you know, with with that, you know, there was a there was a lot of flooding at River Road. You know, when it would when it would flood, we weren't able, we could not drive down it. You know, that water was up so high, it was up up that hill, and uh, so there was a lot of times we couldn't go back there when it was flooded. I was concerned back in my uh, latter years of living in Metropolis of some of the floods. Remember the, I believe it was 2009 or 2011 flood? 2011, yeah. I was, 
I was really, really concerned that the floodwaters had reached so high that they were in the, the backyard of Honeywell or actually getting to the, uh, the cylinder yard or uh, one of those yeah. ponds. Yeah, and for the flooding, I mean, you know, these these uranium barrels and cylinders are in open air. When it rains, it rains directly on these these radioactive containers. And then it just goes to the ground, you know. Yep, yep, goes directly into the ground. Um, there there used to be some some uh, some trailers carved out just over the what train bridge is that that old that old train bridge there was some there was a flood zone where they had actually built like a, a small little cluster of uh, of trailers uh like pretty small ones uh this yeah. this was back in probably probably what 2014 2013 and i had checked a map you know looking at honeywell documents where where the flood zones were and where you know the outfalls were, where they would discharge uh, material, you know, liquid discharges from the plant uh, down yeah. these outfalls or these these trenches into the river. And the, one of the flood zones was where these trailers were actually built on. It was kind of tr it was troubling, troubling to see that. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, any more questions here? So. So you would okay. Let's go going back to one of the original questions. So you you would wear your your coveralls that you wore at the plant and were exposed to these radioactive dusts and potentially liquids. Um, you would wear those those home. Yes. And did all security guards wear those home? Yes. As compared to other workers, were there some times when you were working around people in full hazmat suits with breathing uh, with respirators? And while you guys, as security guards, were just standing there in your regular security clothes. Now I know I didn't see the actual hazmat suits. They had kind of like coveralls like us, but they did have the uh, the face mask on. You know, the SCBAs where they can breathe through. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have that. You know, we'd be walking around the plant doing our rounds and everything. And I guess we just breathe it in. You know, I guess it's safe for us. So I don't know. Right. You know, so magic. Magic. No, magically, it's somehow safe for the security guards to be around the stuff, but other, but others in different, you know, operating positions at the plant would be in uh, have breathing apparatus on. Yeah. While you're just right there, like right next to them. Yeah. And I mean, I felt sorry for the guys that operated the forklifts that were outside all day moving these barrels and stuff. You know, I'm like, oh, they're near that stuff all day long. Yeah. I mean, it just concerned me. You know. Mm -hmm. I have. Yeah, I, mean, I, I believe as a nineteen-year-old, I probably could have ran a better security outfit. Yeah, I think you answered my uh, my my last question. I was gonna ask: um, Would you, do you, in your opinion, do you believe that Wackenhut, that was running the Honeywell Metropolis Uranium Conversion Plant uh, security, do you believe that they were qualified to to run that sector of the plant security? 
kind of let it go by, you know. And to me, it didn't seem, you know, legit or cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I was one of the last ones they let go because they laid off our whole crew that was there, and they were hiring in new ones that worked, like, in the Department of Defense, you know, ex-military, things like that. Yeah. And they kept me on for two extra months to train these new people. And there was a, you know, they were asking the same questions I did. You know, why are we going in areas like this? I said, you know, this is part of the job. You know, that's what they told me. And uh, a couple of them didn't make it. They didn't come. They're like, screw this. You know, they quit. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that because they, they were going to keep me on, but they were getting firearms, and I was underage to have firearms. So that's why mm-hmm. I had to get let go. Yeah. Yeah, that's highly troubling um, that, that they would just leave these cylinders in open air have these rail cars full of hydrogen fluoride that could go volatile uh, right by the road. I believe that what uh, there's an interstate that runs right in front of the plant, right? Or a highway. It's U.S. Highway 45 there. Highway 45, that's correct, yeah. And there's a residence about probably, what, 600 feet, maybe 800 feet from the the fence line? Yeah, it may be about 1,000. But uh, when we mm. had to do the river road, we had to go down a different road, so we would actually have to take a left onto the highway and turn down the next road where there was a bunch of residences that lived back there. People. Yeah. Uh, we would have to go to the end of that road, and we'd have to unlock the gate, and then we'd drive down this hill and go down behind the plant there, the river road, just to make sure you know there wasn't anybody out there messing around, no hunting or four-wheeler riders. Yeah. My, uh, my grandpa and uh, grandma live on Doug Sumler Lane or Avenue? Is that the road you're talking about? I believe so, yeah. It's just right over the fence line of the yeah. uh, the, the west side. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to see there because there's a you know it's full of trees right outside the fence line, so it's hard to see if there is any residences there. But when you turn down that road to go left, I mean it's not far at all to take your next left to go down the road. Yeah. No, I've never I've never gone past my grandpa's on on Doug Sumner Road. I, I have seen that there is a road that loops around, but I just assumed that was uh, Honeywell property, and I'm probably gonna stay away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any anything else you want to talk about before we we head off of this session? You you've given me so many so many good clues, and I hope you've really woken up the listeners to this to this plant. You know the uh, the concerns. That that trench that you're talking about that that flows direct from the plant from a chemical pond from the plant directly to the Ohio River is highly troubling. Is uh, anything yeah. else? And that was there was three of them back then when I worked there. You know, all three of them were full of the till the greenish looking water. And uh, I guess today it's not, but it, it you know it was back then. We had there was two smaller ponds, one larger pond, and actually there was a little catwalk we could walk up. And I would you know sometimes I'd walk up there and I'd just look down at it, and you could see all the lime in the bottom and everything, but the water was just that bright green color. And uh, never learned much about it, you know, just that they were filtering something out. Hmm. Hmm. The mystery of the Honeywell Metropolis uranium conversion plant brave individual christopher mccutcheon um, well thank you for letting me use your real name it, it seriously takes a lot of bravery i want to uh, salute you for your service to truth and uh, your fellow brothers and sisters i want to thank you for actually you know calling let me speak on you know my behalf for what i've seen and i just want to thank you for your fight also to get the truth out Yes, sir. Yes, we'll be in touch. If you ever need anything, just let me know, and 
uh, listeners of A Call to Actions, you can go to my website, acalltoactions.com, to access all of the podcasts. We do go live every once in a while. You got to subscribe uh, in order for me to in order to receive a notification that we're going to be going live. Uh, but this is a pre-recorded podcast, which will be up on acalltoactions.com and put out to hundreds of podcast networks, including iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, Player FM, Stitcher. There are all kinds of podcast networks out there now. A uh, good independent way of of getting. Uh, the truth heard, and you know get, you're not going to hear anything like this anywhere else. Christopher McCutcheon, former security guard at the Honeywell Metropolis Uranium Conversion Plant. Christopher, thank you for thank you for your service to Truth. Thank you, Bobby. All right, we'll talk soon.